This podcast is brought to you by jewishpodcasts.org. Start your very own podcast today at jewishpodcasts.org. Okay, Parshas Miketz, 5781, everyone. We're deal- what we're going to talk about this week is Mem Gimel Lamed Beis. It says, Vayasimu lo levado v'lahem levadom. Yosef Tzadik takes in all of the Shvatim, and he brings them into his house. This is everybody now. Shimon was already there, but the other ones come back, along with Binyamin for the first time. Right? And they had them all eat together in a meal together with Yosef Tzadik. Now it says, Vayasimu lo levado, Yosef got his own meal. Vilahem levadom, the Shvatim got their own meal. They ate alone on one side of the table. Ulamitsrayim hachilam ito levado, hachilam ito levadom. And the Mitzrayim that were eating with them, they also ate on their own separate side of the table. Yosef on one side, the Shvatim on another side, and the Mitzrayim on another side. Kilo yuchluna Mitzrayim laechos Ibrahim lechem. Listen to this. Because the Egyptians could not eat bread with the Israelites. It was an abomination for the Egyptians to eat together with the Jews. Discrimination. <laughs> the first absolute discrimination that went around over here. And it says, They sat in front of him. The oldest, the Bechor, according to his age, and the youngest, according to his age. And each one of them, the Shvatim, all wondered. They said, how in the world did he know how to sit us properly each one according to our age. Now Rashi says that this was a very known thing, that the Egyptians would not eat together with Ivrim. Ivrim refers to not Jews, because they didn't have Jews back then, but those who were on the other side of the Egyptian river, of the, the river of Egypt, not the Nile River, but a little bit to the east, nor, more, more towards Saudi Arabia. Right, that area that's called the River of Egypt, they would not eat with them. Targum gives the reason for this, and there are other reasons that are given out by the Rishonim. You may recall earlier that Yosef Atzadik was given permission to do anything in Potiphar's house but one thing. The one thing Yosef wasn't able to do, Lo yoda ito Potiphar didn't want to have anything to do with anything Yosef was doing. He said, I don't want to have to do, don't worry about anything. The one thing is, the bread that I eat, I don't want you coming anywhere near me. The bread, I don't want it anywhere near. He could not touch his bread and the food that he ate. Now, there are other ways of translating that Pasuk, but it seems clear that there's some connection over here, seemingly some connection between the food of the Mitzrayim and the Ephraim. They would not allow them to touch. Now, why? Why is that so? We have a bunch of answers. Number one, the Rashbam, the Chizkuni, and the Radak, all three Rishonim, say the Egyptians considered any food touched by foreigners to be impure and contaminated. They would not go anywhere near it. They say this because they had tremendous egos, the Egyptians. They considered themselves the best of all the nations out there. Therefore, because of that, they would not touch anything if you weren't from Egypt. The Pasuk in Yeshaya says, That's the idea on Pasuk, the Periclam and Pasuk Zion, that the Egyptians thought of themselves as the best of the best. Yeah, Shalom. It doesn't, we'll, we'll get to that. Then we'll get to that. Number two, Targumunculus. Targumunculus says this because they ate sheep and other animals that were considered to be deities by the Egyptians. And therefore, their mouths and utensils were considered tame because how could they touch something that was their god? 
It was their food. So even though they weren't eating sheep at the time, let's say they were eating bread or they were eating something else, but their kalim are tummy, their ovens are tummy. They eat our gods, the sheep and everything else, and therefore they stayed away. It happens to be that it's brought down by Herodotus in 241 that only the female sheep were deities, not the male sheep. So it's a cool idea that it was only the female sheep that were problematic. Either way, they said, if they're going to eat those things, we're not going to go anywhere near them. The Redak says the Egyptians were actually vegetarians. I don't know if that goes well with the Egyptians that we know of in the past. However, it could be that there were separate, you know, different Egyptians at different times. There were different Malchus, different kingdoms. So who knows? There were vegetarians. They didn't eat meat. They were disgusted by anyone that ate meat at their table. And they wouldn't eat with them because they were eating meat. They refused to do it. Rav Yaakov Kamenetsky says the word toeva, right, in this Pusik that we mentioned over here, the toeva that we have, ki toeva yimitzrayim, etc., is referring to the sheep themselves. A little bit different. This seemingly is giving the reason why they wouldn't dine with the Jews. Ki to'avas hi lemitzrayim. Their, their meals were gods to the Egyptians. So seemingly it comes from the word toeva, and they would not eat with them because they couldn't stand being with their gods. The Ksam Sofer says this is interesting. This is why the Shvatim were allowed to eat with Yosef. Now think about this for a second. The halacha is, and it's brought down by the Rambam, you cannot eat the shechita of an Ovid of Odezar. If somebody worships idols and then shechts an animal for you, even if they shecht it properly, you are not allowed to eat from it because the assumption is that they're thinking about the Ravodazara when they shecht it. So why were the Shvatim allowed to eat? Even if Yosef said, Utvoach tevach ve'alchein, prepare by shechting properly. Even if he somehow knew the customs of, the, of Yaakov Avinu and his children of how to do shechita, the Shvatim couldn't eat from it because the halacha is you're not allowed to eat from the Avodazara, an Avodazara shechted animal. Why would that be allowed if it was there? It must be that Yosef was showing them that although the Egyptians worshipped idols, I do not. They won't eat that meat, but I will. And Yosef specifically shechted sheep and goats to show that he didn't consider them gods at all. And therefore the Shvatim were able to eat. That's the concept behind it. Since the Rambam says eating the, sh- the shechita of a non-Jew is only midurabbanan. That's only an Isra midurabbanan. And that Durabana did not exist at the time. The Shvatim were allowed to eat from that meat that was not considered something that was usher. That's why he purposely had the Egyptians sitting on one side and they were on the other. It was done on purpose to show they won't eat meat, I will, and therefore you can eat from the Shechita that happened by there. And that's why Yosef Atzadik did it. What a brilliant idea. Does Nayim Latora points out that it was truly amazing that Yosef continued his practice of eating meat in Mitzrayim even though he'd been there for 22 years, he was a slave. You'd think that somebody who's a slave who gets made fun of for certain practices that he had would never be able to keep it up. But he did. He made sure to keep it up. He kept doing it. Even when they were making fun of him, even when they were saying things, even when he was a slave, he continued to eat meat when he could and he allowed himself to do it. That's something that's special. If you keep your customs in a strange world, in a place where nobody else knows you for that long, that shows how special you are. Yeah, Shomo. Wine. 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 I don't remember me. Wine. I don't think. But yeah. And also, according to the Shita that said that the Egyptians were vegetarians. Yeah. It's not, I mean, seemingly not like Chazal. So the reason why the Arab had to be thrown away is because they couldn't get it. They were salt and they were going to go and eat them later. Since they weren't eating meat. I mean, yeah, if you're starving by the seventh Makkah, I agree. That's when they ate meat. 
but they wouldn't eat meat up until that point. I would assume that. Plus, I don't know if bugs are in that category of regular meat. It could very well be that they weren't considered that. I'm sure they were fishermen, right? There was no question there would have been fishermen allowed. Maybe they didn't consider that in the level of meat, of regular meat itself. The problem with this is that, so I hear what you're saying by vegetarian, but I don't know if they were vegetarian or what he means is not eating meat. Maybe that's what he refers to. Now, the problem with this is that the Pusik says they wouldn't eat bread with the Jews. It was a problem to eat bread. It didn't say that it was a problem to eat meat. So although this is a great shot, and the shot is given by Rishonim, Targumunculus, Radak, are saying that the reason why they wouldn't eat with the Egyptians, the Egyptians and the Jews wouldn't eat together is because they ate meat, they ate meat, and the Jews did not. But it said they wouldn't eat bread with the Jews. It doesn't mention anything about Buster itself. Now, again, it could be that Lechem just refers to all different types of foods, and it's just the general idea of food itself. But Tom Das, Rav Sturmbach says this may be the difference between us and them. We make a bracha on everything we eat, even those things that we need to survive. Even things that are so simple that if we wouldn't have them, we wouldn't be able to survive. We make a bracha. We make a bracha on amotzi. In fact, we consider amotzi to be the most special thing out there. Listen to what Rav Sturmbach says. The Egyptians felt there was no need to thank God for bread. You need to bread, bread to survive. God needs to give us bread. If we didn't have bread, we wouldn't live. So for that, I'm not making a bracha. I refuse to make a bracha. They wouldn't make a bracha on that something itself because it was just a staple of life. They would only thank their gods for something substantial like meat. This is a different opinion. Not that meat was a deity to them or a god to them, but they would only thank God for that idea. They were disgusted about the Ivrim giving so much chashivus to the bread. Why would you eat bread first? Why would you make a brach on bread? Why would everything be around, revolved around bread? You bench on bread. You make the main brach on bread. Why would it be about bread? Bread is the simplest thing that God has to give us. Make the brachas on meat. That's the icker part of the meal. The way a Jew thinks is, no, we thank HaKadosh Baruch Hu for everything. For everything we have, even the simple bread. Even the simple water. How could we live without water? True. Nonetheless, we make a bracha of shahako, a beautiful bracha, the same bracha we'd make on anything else. We'd make on that water to be able to consider it awesome. And because the Egyptians considered it beneath their dignity to do so, they would not eat with the Jews ideologically. Not because of the meat necessarily, but because ideologically it made no sense to make the bracha on bread. That's how Tom Badass, how Rav Sturmbach says it. Rabbi Yudah Saad says, this is crazy, and I don't think I've ever heard this before. If somebody's heard this, you can tell me. I've never heard this before. The reason why our matzahs are round is because of this. Most people know, I mean, obviously, unless you get the machine-made, you know, square matzahs are just easy to make, the matzahs that we have for Pesach are all round. So he asked the question, he said, why is it that way? Why don't we have square matzahs? Why don't we have that? Why are they round? He says, the Egyptians used to make their bread specifically because of their gods. They used to make it with two corners, corner and corner, to be able to make the bread refer to the two gods that they believed in, good and evil, the god of good and the god of evil. Sometimes they referred to the four elements that the world was supposed to be made out of, Aish, Mayim, Ruach, and Ufer, and they would make square-shaped, square-shaped bread. Remember, they didn't have much bread, it didn't rise very much back then, but whatever it was, the pitas that they had, they would make it square. The Jews wanted to tell everyone that there was truly only one God, that there was really only one God and there was nothing else out there. So they purposely made round matzahs, round bread, no corners. There's only one God and there's nothing else to talk about. 
So the Egyptians hated the Jews because they're the ones who would make sure that the bread was round. While they themselves said, no, there has to be corners to refer to the different types of gods. And it could be that B'nai Yisrael says, Rabbi Yudasad, maybe that's the reason why B'nai Yisrael specifically, when they left Mitzrayim, made sure to make round matzahs. And we continue to do that even today. That's why we have round matzahs there. I've never heard that reason before. And the truth is, years ago at the Pesach Seder, I don't think you remember, you might have been too young for this big guy, but years ago, this question was asked to me by one of my cousins who's not from at all. Why are all the matzahs that you use round? Because he was used to square matzahs by Manashevitz and whatever the other, you know, different companies are. So he said to me, Where, why in the world do you use round matzahs? And I said, to be honest, truth, I don't know. I think it's just easier to roll out that way. I didn't have an answer for it. Rabbi Yudasad says, no, it's done on purpose. We call it ugos matzos, the circular matzos. And we do it on purpose to knock out the opinion of the Egyptians. They're the ones who had square or cornered matzos. We're the ones who have circular ones. Maybe you've even heard of this. Have you ever heard of the custom? You don't eat the ends of the matzah, the ends of challah, whatever. You've heard of that, right? You cut off the end of the challah and you put it to the side and nobody eats it. Maybe this is why. Maybe the reason why is because the ends represented those gods that they believed in, the deities they believed, they believed in. And we don't eat the ends for that reason. We purposely have it. Maybe that's the reason why on all Yom Yom Tovim, we make sure on Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, we have a round matzah to remind ourselves of a Kodesh Baruch Hu. I've never seen this before. Rabbi Yudha Saad brings this down. It's brilliant. I think it's an unbelievable reason. I've just never seen it. I've never seen it before. Yeah. Shouldn't what? I don't know, matzahs, as in, remember, they didn't have the bread that we had, you know, with the actual yeast rising or whatever. They would have had, like, larger pitas or something like that. So, I don't know. I have absolutely no idea. Like, they would have had, their matzahs also weren't hard and brittle. They were, you know, like regular lapas. That, that's what it would have been, right? Because the Korban Pesach was really just, a, you know, a hero sandwich, like a shawarma. Because you just put the meat and the salad in together with the little lapa and you, you ate it like that. Right, it makes sense, right? That's why, can you imagine eating, like, a matzah sandwich with like the hard matzah and you're putting in the mar and the meat in. You're just like, what is going on here? Like, it's the worst ever. But th- that's not what it was. It was a shawarma. And everybody likes shawarmas, right? They're out there. Or the hero sandwiches that are spelled? Hero. G- How do you spell it? G-Y-R-O. Very good. Very good. Always. Hero sandwiches. G-Y-R-O. For years, I thought it were gyro sandwiches. <laughs> right, right. That is the brilliance of yeshiva education. So the Rashbam says a very, very different reason. A very different reason. They also looked down upon all shepherds, the Egyptians, and they considered them very lowly people. They knew that the Shvatim did this for a living. They despised sheep and considered them an abomination. Says the Rashbam, it's not that the sheep were gods of the Egyptians. No, they were disgusting. They couldn't stand the sheep. They considered them to be the worst creatures on earth. By the Korban Pasach, it says, If we shek the Toavas Mitzrayim, the abomination of Mitzrayim in front of them, will we not get stoned? It was an abomination of Mitzrayim. It was something disgusting. Now, it could be, again, we said before, Toeva could also be referring to the Avodah Zarah. But according to this Pshat, it's the opposite. It's something just the opposite over here. What a crazy Pshat, just the opposite. Rabbeinu Ephraim, number four, he says this was a holiday for the Egyptians. This day was a holiday, and that's why the Egyptians ate separately. That's what he says. He doesn't bring any raya to what he says, no proof. He just says it was a holiday for the Egyptians. That's why they're eating separately. Number five, 
The Shach says, look, it's not shocking that a king would eat separately from his guests. It makes sense that the king would be on one side and all the guests would be on the other side. Right? They would do that and that the king's servants would sit at a different table from them. It's not that shocking. The Pusik is telling you what normally would be. The king sits here, his guests sit there, and his servants sit on the other side. Like, that's not shocking. Why is that so there? The only reason why he did this, though, is because he wanted to remind them of what they did after they threw Yosef in the pit. After they threw him, obviously they don't know it's him yet, after they threw him in the pit, they sat down to eat together without him. He wanted to show them what he felt like when he was thrown in the pit and they were eating on top of the pit without him there. So he had them sitting on their own. He was on the other side saying, this is terrible. This is the worst thing for us. That's the idea behind it. He therefore sat them separately, but then brought them close later, says the shach, and ate and drank with them. And that's what the next passage says. We sat them separately and then brought them back together to show he wanted to show them what they felt, what it felt like, and then bring them together to say no hard feelings. Then Itziv says, of course, the Egyptians wanted to sit next to Yosef. Everybody wanted to sit next to him. This had nothing to do with the meat thing or anything, the Avodah type of thing. He was the king. He was well-respected. They treated him as they would any king. They weren't disgusted by him. He'd been king there for nine years already, the person in charge for nine years. But he wouldn't sit with them whatsoever. Why? Then Itziv says, simple reason. Simple reason is people get disgusted when they watch other people eat and drink. You ever watch other people eat and drink? It's disgusting. It's always disgusting. You don't want to watch somebody. So when they would watch the king, they might think lower of him because of the way that he's eating or drinking. So he said, number one, I'm not letting anybody sit next to me. That's number one. Number two, it's kind of dangerous. They have sharp knives and they're sitting next to the king. At any point, they could just reach over and stab the king. There'll be no one that's going to be able to stop him. So for that reason, he also wouldn't sit next to anybody because he wanted to make sure that nobody would be able to stab them or anything. The Shvatim sat separately from them because they were disgusted with guests. That's how the Nitzv puts it, like we said above, our first answer all the way above. But the Nitzv says this was done on purpose from Yosef's part. He didn't want to eat with his servants, simply put, not because of the meat issue, because it wasn't a smart idea for kings to eat with their servants. In fact, says Rechaim Knievsky, Yosef had to do this. It is usher for a person to pretend he's an Ovid of Odezara. For him to pretend that he's with the Egyptians and eating like them or not eating meat because he's an Ovid of Odezara is absolutely usher. You can't fake that. You're not allowed to fake it and say, I'm almost an Ovid of Odezara. You cannot do that whatsoever. Maybe he told them he wasn't eating with them because he was the king, but the truth is he couldn't eat with them because they were Ovid of Odezara and he didn't want them to think that that's the reason why. The Hadar Zakanim, hold on, the Hadar Zakanim says they hated Ivrim. They hated these Ivrim. Now, it doesn't mean Jews. Again, Ivrim are people from the other side. He does not say why. Maybe for the reasons above, that they hated people that ate meat, or maybe they hated guests because they had gaiva, or whatever. I, I don't know. He doesn't say why, but he says they just hated Ivrim, and they would never eat with them at all. Tom Bedas said it had nothing to do with Ivrim. The Egyptians wouldn't eat meals with Yaakov's family. They remembered Avram Avinu from years ago when he had visited and what had happened with Avram and Sarah and what had happened to their families because of it. They remembered something of it. So therefore, everyone from that family was ostracized by the Egyptians. They would not go near them. They didn't know about Yosef, but they were afraid of them because of that. Maybe that allowed for when Yaakov came later for them to separate them and put them in Goshen, which is a good thing for the Jews altogether. But that's the idea how it said to the Tambadas. When the Egyptians brought a Jew close to them, it was only for selfish reasons, not for anything else. Therefore, they really didn't like the Jews themselves. Meshach Ochman, our seventh answer and our final answer here, says there were no other Egyptians eating with them. 
the Mitzrayim in this Pasuk were not Egyptians. It was Osnas, Menashe, and Ephraim. When Binyamin sat down, he was given five portions. Yosef gave him his portion, Osnas gave him hers, and Ephraim and Menashe gave him theirs. So he had five portions, his own, Yosef's, Menashe, Ephraim, and Osnas. Those were the Egyptians that were sitting with them. Why did Yosef sit them away? The opposite reasons of what we said before. Not because he wanted them to feel bad. He wanted them to feel at home. If he would be sitting with his family and separate them, then it would make them feel bad that they weren't able to sit with him. On the other hand, if he knew the Egyptians couldn't sit with them for whatever reason, so if he had the Egyptians sitting separately and the, the, the other people sitting separately and him sitting separately, then it would make everybody feel like, okay, at least Yosef himself is separating from everybody else. Nobody would be embarrassed. That's how the Meshachachma puts it. Now, for the Medrash, Targum Yonason says that he picked up his cup, Yosef Azadeh, picked up his cup, started hitting it with a little utensil, started hitting it one after the other. And what he did was, it was like a form of magic. And he called everyone out and he said, B'nai Leah, go on this side. B'nai Bilha, go on that side. B'nai Zilpa, go on this side. The last child should sit next to me. And he separated them according to what he was seeing in the cup, trying to do everything based on the cup that he had right in front of him. The Ksam Sofer in Torah's Moshe says that's what it means, Habachor Kibachor Rosso. He chose every Bechor to sit them in their right spot. The Bechor of Leah, the Bechor of Bilha, the Bechor of Zilpa, and the Bechor of Rachel, right? All in their separate spot. He didn't obviously knew, right, what he was doing over here. He exactly did that. That's what it means. Ha-bechor kibchor So each bechor, like their firstborn status, in a separate spot. Miam Loez, Embracious Rabbat Sadi Beis, says that Yosef said, Yehuda is king. He gets to sit first. Ruvain is the firstborn. He is second. And then he said, I always thought that Yehuda was the firstborn. He's the one that speaks up first. But my cup tells me otherwise. My cup tells me that Yehuda is really the leader, but Ruvain is the firstborn. And that, he split everybody up according to the mothers themselves, shocking everyone into telling them why he thought they should sit in each place itself. Now then it says that no, the Pusik seems to indicate the Bechor sat according to his Bechor status, which would mean that Reuven would have sat before Yehuda, not that Yehuda was before Reuven. Right? That's what it seems. According to, it would have to say, like, according to their status, and it says, Abachor Raso, So then it seems, says, it seems that's what it's supposed to be. The Mesha Chachma says it seems like the opposite. Yosef was always Mekariv the Bnei Shvachos. Remember what it says? Es Bnei Bilhav, Es Bnei Zopan, Aviv, in the beginning of Ayeshev, that he was together with them. He was Mekariv those Bnei Shvachos. He purposely sat them in between the brothers, meaning, the way the Meshachachma says it, he did Ruvain, Shimon, Levi, Yehuda, Don, Naphtali, Gad, Asher, Yisachar, Zvulin, Binyamin. Even though Yisachar, Zvulin, and Binyamin are from the Iker wives, and Don, Naphtali, Gad, and Asher from the Bnei Shvachos, they were the children of the Shvachos, that was his deal. He considered them equal, and he put them all together exactly in that order. So not Yehuda, then Ruvain, then everybody in that order, right? Or separating Bilha and Zilpa and Leah and Rachel, says the Meshachachma, he purposely mixed them all together to show that he was machshed them according to their age, and that's what he put it all together that way. The Ksavah Kabbalah says the word Habachor does not always mean a firstborn. It means the oldest of the ones that are left. And therefore you could say, 
Reuven is the Bechor, Shimon is the Bechor to Levi, Levi is the Bechor to Yehuda, Yehuda is the Bechor to Dun, Dun is the Bechor to Naphtali, etc., and stuff like that. And that's how he sat them together. Hadar Zakanim says he had a safer that had the word Kibchoraso with dots on top of it, Nikudos on top of it, seemingly to indicate that at that point they were not supposed to be according to their firstborn status, but rather according to who was the oldest. But the Minchas Shai doesn't mention these dots at all. And the Torah Kibchol Russell is not even spelled with a vav. The Hadar Zakenu says it's spelled with a vav. Torah Shlemah says this is a very difficult Baal Tosfos to understand where he got that from. Okay. Miam Loe says he did all this so he could sit next to Binyamin on purpose. Some say, did you know this? That he sat down Binyamin right next to him in order to tell him the secret that he was really Yosef so he would be in on it when he put the cup inside his bag. After all, the brothers had already left earlier and knew that Yosef had put stuff in their bag. You don't think they checked their bags on the way out to make sure they didn't have anything left? And when they did indicate, like, oh, look, something got put inside. So they say, well, Binyamin didn't because he wasn't there before. You don't think they would have checked Binyamin's bag? But this time, the reason why they specifically looked at Binyamin, Yosef had told Binyamin who he was and said to Binyamin, do not tell anyone yet. It's not time yet. And he wanted to put Binyamin by him for that reason. They even discussed Binyamin's children, the ten children that he had, and why they were named that way after Yosef Atzadik. And he did it on purpose. He wanted them to know exactly what it was. That's an interesting line over here. Now, a little bit more, the, the Sworn of the Moshe. The Canaan says they were putting them a little bit further away. Rashi says he called out each one of their names in, in the order of which mother they were born from told them where to sit, and said, with Binyamin, his mother is not alive, my mother is not alive, so we're going to sit down next to each other. Problem is, guys, Leah had already passed away already as well. How do we know that Leah had already passed away? Think about it, guys. It's a very obvious answer. How do we know Leah already passed away before they came down to Mitzrayim? Where was Leah buried? Mars Machpelah. They didn't, if she died in in Eretz Mitzrayim, they wouldn't have brought her all the way to Maris Machpelah. They wouldn't have brought her all there, or the Pusik would have said something like, or indicated that they did that. After all, Paro didn't want Yaakov leaving, and people didn't go get buried in Eretz Yisrael. Says the, the Gurari and the Chizkuni, Leah had already passed away and was buried in Maris Machpelah. So now you've got a problem. Yosef said, my mother isn't alive, and his mother isn't alive, so we'll sit together. But the B'nai Leah, their mothers aren't alive either. What about them? So the Chizkuni says, Yosef thought they were still alive, that she was still there. But the Gurari said, that's not what he meant. He didn't mean to say that my mother is not alive. It's that my mother passed away when I was younger, and his mother passed away when he was younger. The rest of the mothers, he didn't know when they died, or if they were dead, what happened to Bill Azilp and Leah. He had no interest. The last 22 years, he's been gone. But he knew that they didn't die when they were young. So therefore he said, we're the ones who lost our mother when we were young, and that's it. That's the idea behind it. That's the Gorarie. The Sefer Ayasha says, he didn't say mother. He said, Binyamin has no brother, and I have no full brother. Therefore we should sit together. That's what he says. And it wasn't mother, it was brother. What's up? We don't know. Bila likely was alive. That's what Rashi says. She's the one that bowed down to Yosef in Mitzrayim. She was the Dover Buffel, the moon in the dream. So likely Bila was still alive. Zilpa, we have no idea. We have absolutely no idea what happened to Zilpa. Well, yeah, no, for sure. Meaning that's what they thought it was in Rachel Mesa, right? With that famous wording in the past. There's no question they thought that Rachel had passed away. But this is something I think a little bit different. Seemingly a little bit different than it was. There is the Bir Basada as well. He had no mother and brother, etc. and stuff like that. 
Now, what shocked the Shvatim over here? By Yitzmahu. They were shocked when they saw this. What was so shocking? So seemingly, the shockingness was that he was putting them according to the mothers and according to the, all their, their order, you know, how, how old they were, and putting them one after the other. They had all been born within seven years of each other, except for Binyamin. You could not tell the difference between Reuven, Shimon, Levi, Yehudi, Yisachar's womb. They were born within a couple years. There was no real difference between them. And they were all brothers. So they were related. They all looked alike. It wasn't like it was easy to look at them and say exactly what order they were. So when he saw that they put him over and said the Rashbam and the Panach Raza, that's what shocked them. How could he tell who's older when just looking at us, you wouldn't be able to tell that? Yeah. Oh, hold on. So Chaim Paltiel says that's not the reason why they were so shocked. It's because Shimon was in jail for the past year. Remember, they went home and then they came back and Shimon was in jail the entire time. He had been there the entire time. So it makes sense, right? It would make sense that the reason why they shouldn't be shocked at all, maybe Shimon said something. But when Yosef did it and put everyone in order, they all looked at Shimon. And Shimon was like, holy cow, how did he know this? And when Shimon looked shocked, then they were shocked. And that's why it says, the wording of the Pasuk is, Vayitmu, the wording is, Vayitmu anashim ish al-re'ehu. Ish refers to Shimon. Why? When they fought against Shem, it was the ish, Shimon, he says, some say it's Levi as well, but the ish that turned in and he was the one that destroyed the city of Shem itself. That was Shimon. And because Shimon was the person, they were shocked. Now they didn't know exactly what to do. Vayitmu Ish, when the Ish, Shimon was shocked, even though he was there. Maybe he could have told Yosef where it was. That's when they knew something was up. But the Dazakane, Rechaim Paltiel, the Moshe Zakane, the Russian, the Chizkuni, say that's not what they were shocked about. Because it doesn't say Vayashivu, that he sat them down. It says Vayeshvu, and they sat. Maybe they did it on their own. Instead, what they were shocked about was that Yosef was eating by himself. Like we said earlier, it made no sense. They couldn't understand who is Yosef. He's not with the Egyptians. He's not on our side. Who is this guy? That's what shocked them. They could not understand what exactly they were doing. Tzedel Aderech changes the order a little bit and goes through. But now we're getting to your question, Shlomo. This is really the biggest problem. Why is this such a shock? They didn't know about magic? Magic was all over the place in Mitzrayim. Everybody knew about magic. What's the big deal? The Rabbeinu Bakaya says, what did they think the cup was? Did they think that it was something like that? What was it? So the Rabbeinu Bakaya says, there are things that have been made, certain types of cups and whatever it is, that have been made based on the powers of the constellations, that give the person who has it the ability to figure out things that he wouldn't be able to do by looking at the cup at certain times in certain areas. And that was a chachma that they all knew. There was a way of doing such a thing. That's, that's a possibility. But this, and obviously, if that was so, this would be common practice in a place like Mitzrayim, which is the land of magic. They shouldn't have been surprised whatsoever. But this is the problem. They'd never seen anything like this before. Remember, Avram Avinu created the Meseches of Avodah the Mesechta of Avodah And the Gemara in Avodah tells us, Avram Avinu had 400 prokim of Meseches of Avodah We have five, five prokim. He had 400 of them. There is no question, if Avram Avinu had these 400 prokim of Vodazara, the Shvatim knew them all Baalpeh. They knew every little bit of magic there was in the book. They knew the Shem Hatuma that Avram had given to the men that he had sent off to the east. 
This is something that Avram was an expert on, and he gave over to Yitzchak, and Yitzchak gave to Yaakov, and Yaakov gave to the Shvatim. That was not Akasha by them. They knew exactly what this stuff was all about, and they understood what these things were. They understood what those types of things are. But here, they were confused. The way he was holding the cup and hitting with the spoon did not sound like he was faking it. It sounds like he had this information already. So maybe a demon was telling him. Maybe there was a coal, the way he calls it. A coal, a voice, a disembodied voice from the dead who was able to give him this type of information. But whenever that happens, they said, it always happens with an animal involved, with a plant involved. They've never seen it with an inanimate cup. You could have certain cups that have timepieces on them that allow them to see certain things in certain ways, like a crystal ball, like Yael's, uh, like Sisra's mother saw, Sisra's mother had at one point. Those are, that's something that could be, that's a possibility that it's going to be out there. But this, he's looking at this, this Yosef, it's like using the cup and doing everything he was doing with the cup and could not understand it. What in the world is the chachma that he's trying to figure out over here? After all, we do see this. You've heard of Sichas Dekalen, the idea of palm trees, in which the palm trees are able to speak. Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai had this idea, and Sukkah Chavchasim Abayz. That kind of concept exists. They knew this type of thing was there. They just hadn't seen anything like it. And they knew that it was a Chachma way beyond anything they'd seen before. And this is what shocked them. Magic, they know that it exists. And the way that magic works, they also knew from Avram Avinu from way back when. But how in the world does this work? This type of chachma is something we've never seen before. And the Shvatim, being Klal Yisrael, being people of good mind, said to themselves, how in the world did we miss out on this? What kind of a chachma does this guy have that we've never seen or heard of before? What kind of magic is this guy doing that no one else has ever been involved with? They could not understand where it came from. The Sefer Ayasher says this cup was made of pure silver with onyx stones and pearls all along the side. He made it look like he was smelling it, smelling it, like that, and looking inside when he was doing the trick. Menasha and Ephraim played along with him, made, him, made, him seem, made it seem like it was real. And they were faking it the entire time. Obviously, Yosef knew exactly who everybody was, the only difference was he had to overhear them talking to each other to know which name was which, but he obviously knew the order of the Shvatim themselves. He was playing with them the entire time to make them think that there was a power behind it. One could ask that question. What's the point of that? I mean, I get the whole thing of him doing everything around there, but why in the world is he lining them up and doing everything like this? Rav Chaim Knievsky says something amazing over here, which I think is really important to know. Yosef felt, for whatever reason, he could not tell the Shvatim who he was. He couldn't tell them. Why not? Different reasons. To fulfill the dreams, like the Ramban says. He felt he was part of the promise not to say anything out loud because there was a neder made by the Shvatim. They're not allowed to say anything. That's another answer that's given. There could be many, many other answers. I gave a sheer years ago on all the different answers you could find. There's around 30 or 40 reasons as to why Yosef Atzadik did what he did. Okay, so he did it. But the whole time, Rav Chaim Knievsky says, he was trying to hint to them what was really going on. The whole time, he's secretly planting seeds in their mind. Shimon is the one that threw him in the pit. Shimon is the one that gets to go to jail. They're eating separately. 
so that they would know what happened when they were eating right after they threw them inside the pit. They ate separately completely. He made sure that they were thrown in jail for three days in the very because they all allowed him to be thrown into the pit. He said they were maraglam, spies. Each one thing that he was doing was a specific hint that if the Shvatim got it, Hashem didn't allow them to get it, but if they would have gotten it, if they would have realized what he was saying, they immediately would have said to themselves, oh, this is what's happening over here. Now we understand. We get it. We know what Yosef Atzad is doing. And slowly but surely their minds would realize this was Yosef. And the whole time, for whatever reason, whatever reason the Shvatim didn't get it, and this was part of this, the magic trick was bogus. How, they knew that this was garbage. As soon as he was hitting on the cup and saying something, the Shvatim were looking at like, what? That doesn't make any sense. And of course it didn't make any sense. They should have immediately said, hold on there. Who are you? How do you know who we are? That's not a magic trick. You're just hitting the cup and then you're telling us where to sit down. You clearly spied on us. You clearly did something. How do you know who we are? And for whatever reason, the Shvatim still did not get it because the Kaddish Baruch Hu did not want them to know. And for that reason, we go all the way through, we're learning specifically, Rabbi Yaman says, in Bereshis Rabbah, Nun Gimel Yudalit, the world is blind until Hashem wants them to see. The world is blind. There are so many things that are right there in front of our eyes that we should be able to see, that we should be able to find, that we should just look at a Kaddish Baruch and say, well, obviously. And a Kaddish Baruch does not allow us to see it. It's right there in front of our eyes. And for whatever reason, HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, no, you don't get it. That's what the Shvatim are teaching us now. That the most obvious things in the world are right there in front of us. And for whatever reason, we don't have it. We don't get it. That's the true lesson behind all this. What was Yosef doing? Showing them how powerful HaKadosh Baruch Hu really was. That's the idea behind it. All right, everyone. Have a great Shabbos. Thanks.